For over 75 years, Moses has served this region with hustle, integrity, and caring. Our core values are what make us the number one provider of complete customer care, from sales to our service and parts departments, all the way to our body shop. I'm Reeves Kurtner, and this is In Your Business. Season one of In Your Business is presented by Moses Auto Mall of Huntington, online at MosesMeansMore.com, and powered by the Huntington Regional Chamber of Commerce and Kindred Communications. This week, we're joined by Dr. Alan Letton, Director of the Center for Economic and Community Development in Black Appalachia and Isolated Communities. We're going to explore a topic that's not just crucial for businesses, but is a cornerstone for building vibrant and sustainable communities. Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, or DEI. We discuss the importance of DEI, the challenges, and more. Let's get in your business. Well, let's start, if you can, tell us about about your your background first. So, you know, I, I like to describe myself as a uh, super nerd. So I, I started off um, wanting to be a scientist. I, I had the fortune. Um, so there's a, a well-known scientist in uh, U.S. history, Dr. Percy Julian, uh, one of the first black scientists, ended up starting his own pharmaceutical company. Uh, and he uh, kind of mentored my father uh, and convinced us that we needed to go into science. So my father was a Ph.D. chemist, uh, was a senior chemist at Procter & Gamble. And so I always thought that's where I would be as uh, you know, kind of a super scientist kind of guy. I had this love for jazz and music as well. So I actually got uh, an offer to go play professionally out of high school. And then my father said, well, I will disown you if you do that. You, 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 you need to go into school. So I went to MIT, uh, chemical engineering, chemistry, uh, did my PhDs, uh, uh, chemistry and uh, polymer science. I mean, chemical engineering, polymer science at University of Cincinnati. Uh, and so I, you know, I went the route of, I went to Dow Chemical, uh, became the research leader for Central Labs out of Texas. Uh, from there, I went to um, Texas A&M, decided to go the academic route, um, spend time there, and got tenured, and you know did all the super nerd stuff. You know, travel the world, presenting papers, and all that. Uh, and then uh, while I was there, uh, I ended up getting more and more into um, the you know professional development in the African American community and trying to understand our role in business. Um, that led me to end up going to Alabama, uh, where I became the dean of engineering and architecture. Uh, so I was a dean at the age of 34. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, so I got exposed to a lot of corporate partnerships there, worked very closely with Ford and a number of other organizations. And again, I start to see some of the challenges of uh, inclusivity in corporate America, both from my own experience and from that experience as well. Uh, from there, I uh, end up getting recruited into Allied Signal, which is now Honeywell, and to run their central laboratories. And so, again, this integration of science and business and, and I ended up moving more and more to that balance. Uh, so after Allied Signal, uh, went to Avon Products, where I made the world beautiful, uh, is what I tell people. So I was director of new technologies at Avon. That got me into the biotech world, and so I ended up going uh, and becoming the chief science officer and president for a company called Polymerics, which was a medical device company. Um, and we ended up uh, licensing that technology uh, during the end of that uh, 
uh, company, uh, I was asked to come to North Carolina to Sealy, uh, where I became then Chief Science Officer uh, and Senior Vice President of Research Engineering and Quality uh, worldwide for Sealy. Uh, so I spent time there. Uh, Sealy was eventually bought by Tempur-Pedic, uh, and then I went from there, uh, and that's when I ended up coming here to Huntington. I was going to ask, how do we, how do we get to Huntington? So uh, I have Rubberlight uh, brought them here uh, into Sealy to do some work for us, uh, and uh, we did some materials development. Uh, when I left, the board asked me to come in and join, so I came to um, Rubberlight as the uh, president, chief science officer, uh, and then once I was here, I started getting involved with Mark Marshall, a lot of community development work, which I still do, economic development, and that's how I got here. How long have you been in Huntington now? Almost about 15 years. Okay. Yeah. So, and there's there's a lot to kind of go over, but you, and you kind of hinted at this a few times, but talk about, you know, what, throughout your career, what motivated you to focus on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion in your career? What what, what were some of those things that you saw in your career that, that made you want to make this kind of your, your mission? Yeah, I, I, I have to laugh because uh, what motivated me was being African-American. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I had the fortune, uh, but the challenge of being the first in many areas, okay. you know, being the first in the C-suite. Um, you know, at Texas A&M, I was the first African-American uh, that was tenured. Uh, you know, we had... Uh, Eight over 800 engineering faculty at Texas A&M. I was the first African American tenured in his, that history. Wow. Uh, I started a number of organizations, um, National Society of Black Engineers. I started the professional end of that because all through my career and all while I was at Texas A&M, you know, I realized the unique challenges of of being a person of color trying to navigate the corporate world, uh, and it became a passion of mine because I didn't want people to have to suffer and the way that I did when I as I matriculated through my career so that's that's really what became the motivation is how do we do this in a way that helps people so that everybody doesn't have to struggle the way I can do. you can you talk about some of those unique unique challenges sure yeah I you know it, it's it, there's a variety of them you know I laugh about something when I got to Dow for example um, I was put into uh, their accelerated mentored program uh, but you know on the soft side of things, everybody at Dow, if you were going to become um, you know, a senior manager at Dow, you have to spend Dow time in what we call Dow Mecca, which is Midland, Michigan. But you go to Midland, Michigan, there was no cultural support. You couldn't even get a haircut. Uh, I mean, you're looking at me now, you know, I have no, no, you know, I shave my head now, still have hair. But, you know, where do you, if you can't even get a haircut, you can't even go and, and, and relax in a community, that becomes a challenge. Sure. And at the same time, you know, I had an event that happened while I was there uh, where someone, uh, someone senior in the organization drew a Ku Klux Klan and a burning cross on my whiteboard in my office and says, we're coming for you uh, because they said you're, you're being coming too successful too quickly. So, you know, those are very direct, yeah. uh, you know, kind of incidences. When I was at Texas A&M, I never forget, um, I had just gotten a research grant that allowed me to move in to the top floor of a research building. And and so I had my whole research group there. And one night the police walk in and, and they said, you know, we, we like to question you. I said, why? Uh, you know, and they said, well, there's rumor that there was a strange black guy walking around on campus. 
I said, well, I, I, you could say I'm strange, <laughs> right. but, you know, <laughs> sure. this is my office. This is where I work. Uh, you know, so you, yeah. you start to get yeah. both these direct and indirect kind of uh, moments of aggression, um, and you hear people you know, question whether you qualify for promotions. So it, it's just all through my career sure. I ran into those kind of things. So you, you mentioned you came to Huntington with for, for rubber lights, and then you started doing more and more Mar- Marshall University. Talk about the creation of the Center for Economic and Community Development in Black Appalachia and isolated communities. Um, you've kind of hit on why you saw the need for it, but talk about how that was created. So that was created because as, as I did more and more, got into more and more community work uh, here in Huntington, I realized that a lot of people were coming up with ideas and, you know, they're throwing spaghetti at the wall and they wanted to see what worked. They weren't doing the more disciplined approach. And this is where that research background comes in. How do you, you know, we needed an organization that would sit down and figure out what are the possible solutions analyze them to see which ones will work, and then implement them. If you think about the success of things like the Me Too movement, for example, one of the great things about that movement is you had people who were very disciplined. We created centers of excellence at different nonprofits, universities. They came up with solutions that work. You know, a very tangible outcome, for example, is that they came up with language to put into the entertainment uh, community's contracts that now is standard for women when they go through No one has ever done that historically in the African-American community when it comes to economic community development. So we started talking, Sean Hornbuckle and I started talking with Jim Justice um, about three years ago, and we've been having this dialogue to try to get him and other legislators to understand. Uh, eventually, he bec- he came to the point where he says, I get it. We really do need to do something. And so March at the State of the Union, uh, I mean, State of the State Address, he announced that he was going to make that investment to start the this, this past March, 2023. Correct. Correct. So so what what is the mission of, of, of the... Um, uh, economic and community development in Black Appalachian isolated communities. Long name there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what what is what is what is the mission? What's what's the goal? Um, where do we want to be in five years, ten years? Good question. So the the mission is if you look at economic and community development throughout the country, and if you look at population densities, so counties that have population densities of 50,000 and less, you'll see that um, there is no successful unifying model of economic community development. And that's both growing businesses, it's been hitting miss. So the first mission is to go out in a very systematic way and understand why that hasn't been successful, why that effort hasn't been successful, and how do we make it successful. For example, there's a, a, a model, economic uh, model of Charles Moreau who looks at, he, he was the one that developed uh, the Asheville, uh, North Carolina downtown. He's got a particular way that he analyzes to figure out what are the right lever, uh, leverages that you use to do economic development. We want to go and try some of those and analyze some communities here and look. So the mission is to take those tool sets uh, and to understand uh, Black Appalachia and isolate community means former coal community. So, you know, uh, one it, we, we want to have a living experimental uh, communities, so we're using Fairfield and Huntington as one, and we're looking at Logan uh, County as the second one. And so that's the mission, is go out and figure out how to do that. The second one is to create a knowledge or center of excellence in understanding these communities 
um, from an economic community perspective. There's a lot of research out there that can tell you what the average salary is, what the poverty rate is. That's great. But where's the research to tell you how to get out of that? Sure. And that's what we're talking about. That's the second mission. You mentioned Asheville. So you're, are we kind of basing this program off of what Asheville has done? And, and the reason I bring it up is when I talk to I, 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 I love Huntington. And, and I love some of the things that have been happening over the last 5, 10, 15 years. I mean, I graduated from Marshall in 2004. And just to see what has changed in Huntington, I think it's been great. And there's so many good stories. Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, I think we could be a, like an Asheville. You know, I love Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. But when I go there, it really reminds me of like of Huntington and Charleston. It's got it's got a town. It's got a downtown. But it's got all these great restaurants and breweries and distilleries and and mountains. I'm like, this this is us. So anyway, I, I talk about Asheville all the time, and I think that we could be a city like that. No, you're absolutely right. And 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 to get into the weeds a bit, yeah, sure. You know, here, here's what you you you've got to start doing. And as a matter of fact, I just had a lunch conversation about this. First, you have to look at what are the, uh, const- you know, the, the structural things that need to be fixed. For example, uh, if you look at the Fairfield community, um, it does not sit in an opportunity zone. As a matter of fact, in the majority of the Appalachia, opportunity zones stop at black communities. So you got to ask yourself, what kind of zoning do we set up? One of the things that's happened in Asheville, and I do think that's a very good model, is they went to a um, um, mixed-use zoning, which gives you access to um, new market tax credits and some other financial tools that we can't access yet uh, in these communities we want to develop. So when you look at that Asheville model, yeah, we could do that. We got to fix the zoning. How do we get access to new market tax credits and some of these other tools? And then how do you bring resources within the community together to grow? An example being, I've been meeting in Fairfield with individual uh, businesses, and and I'm finding out there's ecosystems that you create, one around women's health and beauty, for example, another around culinary. And then when you do a deeper dive, you figure out what are the shared resources that we can pull together. Now we're doing job creation. Now we're stabilizing businesses. That's bringing tax revenue into the economy. And that model in Asheville was to figure out how to capture all of that in a very condensed way so that we don't have to go and build a new infrastructure somewhere else. That's right. You take what you have here and build it. That's the key to Asheville. They took the resources that were there, particularly those of downtown, converted them to mixed use in a very structured way, nurtured those organizations, those restaurants. And, you know, that's a great example. I love going there. And, and their culinary scene is incredible sure. uh, because of that. But that's the way that you have to do this. And I do believe you can do that here in I might be, and I'm, I might edit this next part out because it, it, I might be going. I might be going into the weeds. <laughs> do you know Rashad Sanders? I do. Yes. What? Help. I I only know Rashad. I know Rashad through Marshall Alumni Association. We're on the the board together, and um, um, he is. It, he works. He does some work with, with us, like DJing and events and, and things like that. Help me. Doesn't he work for like the Fairfield Development? Um, so, so the so Rashad is uh, director, executive director for Fairfield. We've never talked about like our personal businesses right. and lives and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, <laughs> wait, wait, is 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 Rashad involved in this? You know, yeah, so, so yes, he is. So yeah. he is the uh, executive director for the Fairfield Community Development Corporation. Okay, uh, which is a new concept here. So, uh, so let me step back and talk about CDCs, and then we talk about what Rashad's role uh, can be in this community development effort. So CDCs were uh, developed around 
around um, the, the Kennedy administration. And, and the purpose of those are to find a particular need in a community and under a specific tax structure be able to facilitate the solution for that need. Back when they were first started, there was probably about 250, uh, 300 of them throughout the country, and they were focused on uh, community development, specifically affordable housing. Um, they were specifically focused on economic and business development. Uh, and then there were some others that were very specific. For instance, Philadelphia has a women's focus CDC that looks for support for single mothers, uh, for example. So the CDC here in Fairfield was uh, developed, I guess now about five years ago. I was on the original board that helped uh, select Rashad. So Rashad has a unique opportunity uh, to really take the, the CDC, get it focused on some specific agendas, and then use the power of tax opportunities, being able to get grants, and to focus his resources on solving those problems. Got it. I don't want to speak for Rashad no, no, and what no. those are, but uh, yeah, that's the whole purpose purpose of the CDC, no, I, and I Rashad will be working closely with us as we do this. Sure. So let's talk about, so this got announced in March uh, at the State of the State earlier this year. How has the support been from the state so far, City of Huntington so far, Marshall University so far? So although the funding was um, was awarded on the, I think it was the 13th of March, if I remember the date, um, the center got set up in the middle of May. Okay. Uh, so, we, so we've started in the middle of May. Um, supporting Marshall's been great. Um, you know, Brad Smith took me through a rigorous review to make sure I was the right person to bring in, which was the right thing to do, and to make sure the center was focused. It has now been aligned with under Tony Strahd, where it's part of the uh, Economic uh, Workforce Development Group. Uh, so Brandon Dennison is that part of that group. Um, so, you know, that that is the right place for it. So it's got the right resources to move forward. And we're starting to identify opportunities just by talking together That's right. uh, that we can partner with. Um, so it's been good reception there. Um, we, the Huntington community, so the center was started with a million dollars. Uh, the target is to raise another four million over the next two years. So the idea is that money will seed programs, research, and we'll leverage that. We'll continue to write grants and everything else. We have had an excellent response from the Huntington business community. Uh, we probably have a commitment of over half a million dollars already. Um, you know, we're going to start soliciting with larger corporations, but the response has been good. The response has been very good in the community. So I've been going out and starting to do some of that basic research, interacting with everyone. We're going to have an official opening of the center here in a couple of months. So you'll hear about it. Perfect. Um, um, so that we can introduce it formally to the community and its purpose. So, so far, the reception has been very good. I, I would say it's actually been better than that. I think we're all seeing the need. Um, just having the right resources talking to each other That's right. uh, has been a tremendous impact so far. Moses Amal of Huntington has been the region's premier Cadillac dealership for over 20 years. To see our selection of new and pre-owned Cadillacs, Visit us online at MosesMeansMore.com. Let's you know, today we want to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. First of all, if you can't give us a an overview of, of what that is 
and, and why it's why it's important to the business world. Right. So so you know, as a matter of fact, I was just reading a, a paper in the Harvard Business Review that's kind of said looking at where's DEI going in current times, and so the research part of this that says why is it important yeah. is pretty straightforward now. It's pretty standardized, been proven over and over. If you look at our population and you look at um, non-white males, right? So if you start looking at women, people of color, neurodiverse, uh, LGBTQT, you just look at that, you're talking about almost 40 to 50% of the population is represented that group. From a business perspective, why do you want to not sell to half the population, not hire half the population, and not obtain leadership you know, from half the population. It's a pretty straightforward argument. That's right. Uh, so that, that's the first part of it. The, 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 but why it's important to focus specifically on it are the challenges of making inclusion um, normal within an uh, a, a, a organization's practice. Um, you know, if you think about it, I said, you know, I give you the over numbers, but if you look at the African-American community versus the uh, Latin community versus LGBT communities, each one of those has a different path to how they got here. Um, so the challenges within the African-American community coming from a history of slavery and segregation are very different than and an immigrant uh, population coming in. That's right. And so it becomes very important to understand those differences and to design programs so that you can go after that other 40, 50% of population. Talk about the that same question, but in context to Huntington and Appalachia. Um, I, I don't know the numbers, but I would assume that it's less than 40 to 50% in, in our area. Collectively, it's not that much different. Okay. So if we talk specifically, so the African-American community only makes up about 6% of West Virginia. Okay. You know, Appalachia in general, the numbers fluctuate because when you start looking at Tennessee and North Carolina, right. you may be higher. That's right. So you, you may be, the numbers I'm seeing, it's somewhere around 8 or 9%. So again, it's still a significant part. Sure. Um, you know, the Huntington community is is the second largest African-American population next to Charleston. So Charleston, Huntington, Morgantown, Beckley, and Parkersburg make up the greatest percentage of African-American populations here. So yes, it is very important for us in Huntington because of that. When you start looking at women, when you start looking at the LGBTQ population, you're still going to be up where around, if I remember the numbers, 25 to 30% total okay. population. So although on the surface, because I think we tend to think DEI only focuses on the African-American population. Truth is, it is much broader than that. Uh, and so you're still talking about significant numbers. That's right. And, and let me ask you this, too. I mean, I think I think one of our, our biggest challenges, and does this, re- I guess I'm asking, does this relate to what I'm about to say? I think one of our biggest challenges in, in West Virginia is, is population, right? I mean, we're the only state that has less people in it today than we did in 1950. And I don't care uh, what color you are, what religion you are, uh, whatever. We need people. You know, does does this go in line with that, that we need, we want to be inviting two African-Americans, two Latinos, uh, LGBT, right? I mean, West Virginia, we need people. We really, really do. We just lost, a, a, a you know, our third uh, uh, 
person in the House of Representatives. So does this have something to do with that as well? Is that a part of the goal as well, to be more welcoming, opening? That's, that's a great point. And yes, that's absolutely it. You know, we're, we're trying to bring in more and more companies, even if we talk about remote operations, that are addressing that broad distribution of, of people, right? That when They're looking at consumers across the spectrum. So we're going to have to have people here who represent that. So absolutely, you cannot just bring in one group of people here and have them working for a company that serves the world. You right. just can't do it. Right. So, and, and yes, we need to get our population up for all the right reasons, right? But yeah, so we, we need to be very welcoming to a diverse group of people. And the, the, what makes up that, that group in terms of how do we attract them is probably not what we think it is. You know, I, I look at my son who lives in Seattle, Washington. He works for Amazon Web Services on hardware design part of it. He loves to canoe. He loved, he, you know, he hiked uh, Kilimanjaro. You know, he he's not your typical you know guy from the '60s that like that I came from. So it actually may be a little bit easier because this this generation that we're trying to recruit, they're more sensitive to outdoors. They're more sensitive to the environment, and and that's where we are. So so yes, it does. It is an issue we have to address, but it's probably easier for us than we think. We talk about some of the, the challenges that businesses in this area face when it comes to DEI. So the, the challenge is that there's several fold. So the first one is we've got to figure out what does that mean in terms of what are the targets? You know, one of, one of the areas I'm, I'm, I'm you know, very committed to is how do you incorporate DEI into strategy in a meaningful way? You know, just going after doing bias training is not the solution to DEI. So that means you got to treat it like any other business uh, outcome and what are the KPIs? What are the objectives? So when you start doing that, you, you, you sit here in Huntington and say, okay, if our feeder population of employees, for example, is 6%, then I need to be figuring out how do I get that 6% to come into to, to, to my organization. So for Huntington, we have to think about what are the right performance metrics uh, for DEI? What does that look like? What is the talent we need to bring in? And what does it look like in that talent pool? Um, you know, I always give the example, if we're trying to find chemical engineers to come here, which we have companies like Nucor and everyone who needs right. chemical engineers, the African-American chemical engineering population is only about about two percent. So we got to be realistic and say our target is to bring in two percent. Whereas if we're looking for folks who are doing coding and everything else, that's a much higher number. Uh, and and that's a population because it's remote work that's very well suited here. That's right. So it's very important for us to grow. But the DEI part of it, it's really about how do you set your strategy to go after the right people and the right numbers to get everybody here. So so what are the keys to implementing a, a successful strategy? So the first key is to analyze where you are. Okay. Um, so you got to understand wh wh where you are, both in terms of the organization and in terms of the recruiting community, not the current community, but the recruiting community. The second thing is, um, and this was in this uh, Harvard Business Review article I was just reading, um, you've got to look beyond just the numbers. You know, there's plenty of research out there that says, you know, DEI is about profit. We know that T 
teams are more effective. You get more innovation. Uh, you know, you have a greater uh, uh, consumer base if you incorporate DEI. That's well known. We don't need to debate that. But that's really about the business analytics part. The second one is you have to challenge yourself and ask what is the uh, moral obligation we have for DEI. You know, if we're a democratic society, then we're doing this because it's part of who we are as an American people. And once you reason with those two and set goals on that, those are the first two things you have to do to make this work. You mentioned, you know, I want to talk about some of the mis- misconceptions of, of DEI. You mentioned that it only means African Americans. What are, what are some of the other misconceptions there are when it comes to DEI? Well, so so there, there's several. That's a, that's a good, very good question. One, you know, one misconception, for example, is that it's about training, right? Um, and, and that backfires because the training we perceive is about changing the way you think about people. That's not. It's about behaviors and managing behaviors within organization. So the first, you know, that's the first misconception. Another misconception is that it's uniform for everybody, that there is some way of, you know, creating a program that works for women and neurodiverse and LGBTQ. You can't do that. You really have to take the time and look at uh, a strategy for each one of them. And it's actually easier than it sounds. You know, if we're doing the proper kind of uh, personal development and coaching. Uh, one of the things we did at Allied Signal, right, everybody had their own development plan. And if you're sensitive to the cultural aspects of that person, you're automatically doing it. You don't, you don't have to do anything special. You just have to make sure you pay attention to that. Uh, another challenge or another misconception mm-hmm. um, has to do with, um, you know, how we I guess how we count the numbers, right? Everybody likes to look at what's the percentage of the population that's there, and they want to say that's our target. That's unrealistic. Right. Um, You know, that that has to go away. And then I think one of the biggest misconceptions that really makes it hard is that we can then – assimilate everybody to a one culture. Uh, this is the, the question I always talk about, tomato bisque versus yes. gumbo. Um, you know, do, we don't want to homogenize the culture because you don't do that now. You know, we, we recognize we have different people with different backgrounds. We want to create a culture where those differences can exist. So that, that, that perception that DEI is about normalizing a culture is a mistake. You really want to make the culture, you know, polydiverse, and how do you manage that? To talk about your gumbo versus tomato bisque uh, analogy. Yeah, so when, when I'm working with organizations, I always, you know, you know, especially when I'm working with the senior management, I start the conversation with is um, when you start to envision what diversity means in your uh, community, is a tomato bisque where everything's homogenized, still tastes good, but it's all homogenized, or is it gumbo where we have these individual pieces and there's a rule that ties all that together Again, very delicious meal, but a very different representation. And so I do that because it accomplishes a couple of things. One, it depersonalizes the conversation. Uh, you know, so now people can talk a little more comfortably because you got to create that psychological safety for everybody to work with. But the second reason I do that is because it's easier for people to wrestle with concepts when it's not uh, challenging people's beliefs. And so usually what happens is the 
the majority of people go to tomato bisque. They they start to think that I need a homogeneous community, and so we want everybody to be treated the same. But then as you get into the conversation, they start to realize, well, no, I, I really want people's pathway to their current position to be noted. I want, you know, I want the fact that someone had a different experience in an aerospace company versus someone in automotive. So I really don't want homogeneous. All right, if that's the case, then the gumbo is the right solution. Now, what does that mean in terms of how my organization operates? Sure. So that's why I use it, and that's I think it's a good way to get I like that. that conversation started. Moses Auto Mall of Huntington has been the region's professional-grade GMC dealership for over 20 years. To see our selection of new and pre-owned GMCs, visit us online at MosesMeansMore.com. Can you can you share some examples of, of businesses in our area, you know, that have successfully implemented DEI strategies, initiatives? That that's <laughs> oh that that's a challenging question. Okay, uh, mainly because I've got a lot of companies here who are talking to me and they're all struggling. So, in all honesty, no, I don't have okay. a good example, and okay. that I, you know. I'm not disturbed by that. Well, why are, why are they struggling? What are, what are those obstacles there? I, th- I think the obstacles are, are threefold. One is the fear of the publicity of doing it. Mm. Um, you know, that, that comes up a lot, is that it's going to be perceived as something negative or be perceived that we're, um, you know, we're just doing it because it's politically the right thing to do. So there's a fear associated with that. The second one is, uh, and this is probably the one that, that I like to spend attention on is people don't have the tools and the skill sets to, to address it. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting, and that's not unique to this area. The more companies I talk to, more I realize they do not have the kind of tools that are necessary to go out and analyze, to understand, and then to come up with solutions. And then the third one, which is uh, really falls into misconception, is that it's too costly to do it, and so they won't do that. That's always the number one barrier for anything, right? Right, right. exactly. Cost, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you got to look at it as an investment. I know, of course. And not look at it That's as right. just an absolute cost that you'll never recover. That's right. I mean, how, so how can some of those challenges be be overcome? So I think there's several ways. Um, so one, um, and and this is one of the things I think the the, the chamber can do. Um, I think Marshall uh, University could do is we got to create a program. Uh, whether it's a workshop or whether it's some kind of a group that comes together on a regular basis that teaches those tools. Uh, it's really, it's really that simple. I sure. Yeah. So yeah. that, so that, so that, that's one way to do it. The second one is to treat, you know, those companies that are very good at doing strategic planning, use those same elements. Uh, you know, so when you when when we want to go into a new market, what do you do? Well, we go and try to understand the size of the market. And then we try to figure out what what percentage of the market do we have right now? What percentage do we want to have? And what are the kind of tools we want to use to grow? You do the same thing. Just start with that conversation on tomato bisque versus gumbo. Come up to a nice consensus. Pick the one area you want to work on and then use your strategic planning tools to go and address that area. What about with, with smaller businesses? Um, you know, Huntington 
I, I, the backbone of I think of our economy is, is small businesses, and in most economies it is. I mean, right. especially here, we have so many good s- stories of small businesses. Again, talk about costs and so forth and limited resources. But what are some some steps that that they can take to promote to to promote DEI? So I would actually say, and and I've seen this work in in different areas of the country, is that they come together as a collective and work. That you know, so let's take for example, we want to address a women's. Um, uh, a single mother's issue, right? Uh, that's a big issue in this community. Um, so I, I looked in, uh, there was a community in New Jersey where they came together and said, you know what? We can't do, deal with this on our own, but about five or 10 different companies came together, small businesses, and said, can we develop a child care contract so that we can create a uh, child care facility where any of the mothers in our organization drop off their children there and, and we get a discount because it's our group. We, it's a, you don't have to worry about getting on a waiting list and everything right. else and manage it that way. So I, I think once you pick out what those areas of focus are, you, you start coming together as a group and solving them collectively. Sure. That's it, Small businesses to try to solve this on their own, it will become costly, and that's probably not the best way to do it. You know, when you mentioned the, the challenges, is is a challenge people are – are they are are they afraid afraid to have these conversations? Are they afraid of offending somebody if I say black or African American or I, I mean I'm, I'm being very I mean I'm being very serious. I'm afraid to use the wrong pronouns. I'm afraid to use the wrong LGBTQ whatever. Is that a problem too? Yeah, you are know afraid? I, 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 I'm I'm grinning because <laughs> I, I literally just read a paper last night, a research paper, and the number one recommendation they had is to start having conversations. Yeah, yeah, you know so. So, yes, people are afraid and you're going to screw up. But you build trust and you build openness by having those conversations. So, you know, that was the number one thing. You know, even if it's going to be uncomfortable, sit down and start having that conversation. Yeah. Uh, and, and It's yeah, okay to mess up. It's, it's okay. Right. I mean, it's okay, yes. Right. You know, you, you don't do it where it's going to be radicalized. Right? Yes. So, yes. But, you know, if you have your employees together or you, you have your counterparts in other companies and you say, look, we want to start having a conversation and you ask the question. What's the right way to approach you? Yeah, you know, yeah, th- th- yeah it's as silly as it may sound. No, no, but we are we are so everybody is just so afraid to offend somebody, right? And and, and oh, I don't want to say the wrong. I don't want to sound stupid. I don't want to sound offensive. Right. Whatever. Sometimes we're just afraid just to talk. You know. But but you know <laughs> that there are and th- you know this is something that's starting to emerge. I wish there were more visible having kind of culture coaches. Yeah. Um, you know I looked at what uh, Nordstrom, the department store. That's one of the things they did. Uh, you know they're in uh, over eighty five percent women managers, and they noticed that women were not that African American women and Hispanic women were not matriculating to higher levels of management, and and so what they did is pulled them together and had the conversation. Um, A little bit challenging at first, but what they ended up learning is that there were certain in-store experiences that were that were recommendations that came from uh, sponsoring uh, upper managers that they never got exposure to. So they made that a more formal group and they ended up having culture coaches. And so these are women who are willing to have those conversations, to be in those rooms, to help facilitate it so people became more comfortable. That's this whole area of psychological safety. How do you create that environment so you can do that? 
how can how can businesses you know in Huntington work with with government, work with with city hall and their 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 state government and so forth to promote diversity and inclusion? Should those conversations be you know, be had be uh, should should they take place w- w- with your representatives and such? Yeah, you know that I, I think it depends on the issue. Okay, um, you know on one hand, for example, uh, I look at there's 27 states right now that have uh, what, what do they call them crown laws. Okay, if you haven't heard about those, so those are laws that prevent discrimination based on hairstyle. Okay, now it's a very strange law, but that came about because you know African American women who were wearing their hair more natural, so whether they were wearing dreads or, um, you know, um, you know, or just, you know, large afros or whatever, they found out that they were being discriminated against in hiring and promotion. Well, in those cases, they had to have legislative conversations mm-hmm. so that laws could be passed, which are now called the crown laws. Uh, you know, they were passed to prevent that kind of discrimination. So in those kind of cases, yeah, uh, if you look at labor laws, for example, yeah, having those conversations we're talking about bringing people in to the state. Right? That's right. So if they come in and they see this uh, you know, salary discrimination, making sure legislation is reflecting the protection of salary against diverse groups. So, so I think they have to be very select and very reasonable. Um, I do think in, in we're living in a world where we're banning books and things of that nature on education. Yeah, you probably still have to have the conversations there as well. Sure. But I think they'll, they'll be very select. Let me, let me go back to the, the Center for Economic and Community Development in Black Appalachia and Isolated Communities. Um, is, is, are you, go, you, you mentioned like Sean Hornbuckle um, a, a minute ago. You know, I know Sean has, has gone to Seattle, you mentioned as well, and, and you know, kind of tell with, with Marshall University and other legislative leaders and kind of telling the story of, of West Virginia. It, are you going to help? Tell that story to businesses like, hey, this is what we're doing in West Virginia, um, trying to go against some of those stereotypes that we have in West Virginia. And, hey, this is the stuff that we're doing now. And we're, in, we're, we're working on a, on a DEI uh, programs and so forth. Are you trying is, is that going to be part of our story to <laughs> corporations? I, I, you know, it could be. You yeah. Know, uh, that it should be. It should be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, we only started in May, so we haven't got to that point it. yet. Yeah. But, you know, I know all the players who are doing that and yeah. making those visits, I'm sure eventually they'll they'll pull me in. As it should be. To. I mean, it really yeah. should be. Like. It, 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 you know, I, it, it is a lost opportunity if we don't. You know, if I look at, you know, uh, you know Dr. Cicero Fain, right, and he's working to start the Black Appalachian Cultural Center, you know, the whole purpose of that center is economic development. You know, that's one of the drives, I should say. You know, the idea that you've got the father of African-American history, um, Carter G. Woodson, that's from Huntington, That's right. Right. And the idea that no one has ever uh, mapped the underground railroad sites here in West Virginia. Right. So you start thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a tourism story. Absolutely. So, you know, you build that. You, it's a tourism that needs to be part of this conversation. That's right. We're having outside. So so I think we're early in that process. But you're absolutely right. If we don't have it as part of that conversation, we're missing that's a right. wonderful opportunity. I mean, I, I love history. I didn't know we had underground railroad sites in, yeah. in West Virginia. <laughs> right. I, I love that kind of stuff. I've been to other places. So uh, now you're right. What, what about the future? Um, are there any upcoming trends, innovative approaches to DEI that, that businesses should be aware of in this area? 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be about, you know, one of those right essential tools. Um, you know, I, I like this idea of Charles Moran and, and his, you know, new economic analysis tools like he used in Asheville, but applying those to communities of color um, or just d- 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 communities of difference. That's right. Right. I, I love that idea. So, yeah, I think you're going to see that come along. Uh, I think the, the tools that are necessary, you know, in the future, I, I I'm partnering with the College of Business and a lot of what I do. So, for example, just research on how do you use new market tax credits to build a community. You know, the research on that for small communities is very limited. You know, we, we know how to do it for a $50 million investment we're bringing in a new Target and a new department store. We don't know how to do new market tax credits in a consistent way for small communities. That's right. Uh, and that should be in partnership with small businesses. So so I think you're, the future to me looks like that. Take it. Where are the new tools? How do we use them? How do we structure them so we can create new systems that the rest of the country grows and learns from us? This has been In Your Business. I'm your host, Reeves Kurtner. Thanks again to Dr. Alan Letton for joining us. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please like, subscribe, share, and even leave us a review. Season one of In Your Business is presented by Moses Automall of Huntington. MosesMeansMore.com. Empowered by the Huntington Regional Chamber of Commerce and Kindred Communications. This is Jason Moses, Executive Manager of Moses Automall of Huntington, where Moses means more. Thanks for listening to In Your Business.